0: Welcome to the third episode of the Sober Podcast. My name is Alex.
1: And my name is Juan. This is a podcast that we have created for people who have or are trying to get sober. We will discuss various topics dealing with sobriety each episode and welcome guests to share their sober stories with the hope of reaching anyone that's been afflicted by addiction.
0: So welcome and let's jump right in. Today we'll be sharing about triggers. So there's a couple things that come to mind with triggers. What are they, how to spot them, and then how to manage them. So the definition of a trigger, the cause to happen or exist. So I'm gonna repeat that. It's a cause to happen or exist. So an event or a situation that has happened or existed. So when you think about cause and effect, Throwing a rock in the water is the pause. The effect is the ripples, right? So when it comes to triggers, like I said, there's three things that we have to be aware of. And hopefully this will help you guys become more aware of what a trigger is, what they do and how they affect us. So a couple things that are happening at the same time when the topic of triggers comes up. It's the conditioning of responses that we have to deal with. So we have triggers that happen in our lives. And our old mindset and our old way of life is we wouldn't deal with them. So we would run to our crutch, which was drugs and alcohol. So it's hard enough to deal with triggers, whether you're sober or not. But when you have an alcoholic mind or a drug addict mind, you have this crutch that you've always ran to before whenever you've dealt with the triggers. So once you become sober, you're not only left with feeling these triggers that have always bugged you, but you can no longer run to your solution of a drug or a drink.
1: Um, Yeah. As as Alex mentioned, uh, the triggers of early sobriety were were kind of um, intense, for me, as you know, there probably are for most people that are recovering. So we have the the first ones that are, in my opinion, the most powerful ones when you're first getting clean or sober. And that's uh, the external uh, influences that affect that. Uh, for example, when I first started getting into um, sobriety, I, I thought that I just had to like stop, you know, drinking or using or whatever it was. And that it would be okay, but I wasn't taking into mind, uh, you know, that associating with certain people, like say my friends who were still using or drinking, wasn't a good idea. So what I would do is I would, you know, go to like a party, hang out with them, and you know, of course they would start doing that, either doing drugs or drinking. And I I just thought, okay, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. But just being there and the, the emotion that ran through my body, that uh that craving. It was really intense and I, I just ended up doing it. And then, you know, I, I would feel really bad the next day, be like, okay, I'm not gonna do it anymore. But I've already put that substance in my body, and once I did that, uh just the physical cravings would kick in. Uh the best that I can describe it is almost like a really intense desperation that overshadows everything, and all you can think about is getting that substance, putting it in your body. And like, you know, it overrides uh, everything else for the moment. And, uh, you know, and it's like, no wonder, like, you know, people say, you know, why can't you stay sober for more than a few days? Or why can't you get it? Well, you know, it's, it's not as easy as that. It is easy when you know what you want and what to do. But at least for me, the saying that people say, like, you know, don't drink or use no matter what. It's like, okay, yeah, I I get that. But there were so many profound changes in my brain that it's not as simple. It's really none of that stuff worked. that, you know, there's so many sayings. Like if Mm you feel like you're going to use, sit yourself in a chair and hold on to the sides on your hands. Mm -hmm. But it's like, dude, if I can be there for days and days and days on end. And then when I get up, I'm going to go and use it because I'm not addressing anything that is kind of pushing me towards it from the outside. So um, some of the things that that I, I did with uh, with that, I had to change so many things. I had to change, uh, you know, my friends, which was the biggest one. Um, also driving through places would really trigger me because my mind was so connected with the places and using. Like just passing by, I could feel like, Almost like this, like tingle all over my body and just elevate my blood pressure. And, you know, it's just like a really strong feeling of discontent and it's scary. So yeah, that's, that were one of those things, you know, people, uh, I would say people, places and things, even lighters. I couldn't hold the lighter like for the first three to four months without it taking me instantly to, you know, meth. And the pipe, uh, you know, mentally, of course. Um, so there is just a lot of things that you know you have to navigate in early sobriety, and yeah, they're different for everybody.
0: So I, I I definitely agree with with what you're saying, and the the people, places, and things thing. I I personally, when I was actively using alcohol, if it was nice outside. I would want to drink a beer. If it was crappy outside, I would want to drink a beer, right? You hear that a lot with alcoholics. Some other early sobriety triggers were fights with my significant other or if they said something wrong. So the whole point, like what we're trying to get at here is everything in early sobriety is a trigger. And it's important, though, what to match and what to look at and reflect on with what is your triggers don't worry about anybody else's triggers just worry about yours it, you you hear about the the example that you gave you know just sit whatever you want to use just sit down and, and and hold on to the chair until your workles your knuckles turn white uh-huh. that might work for somebody but that might not work for somebody else and and that's that's the point that we're trying to make is it's there's so many different triggers coming from left coming from right above below when we're in early sobriety, that if we focus on what triggers us just independently, then we can we're able to manage them a lot better. So that, like that, that's the, the point that we're trying to get across with what your early sobriety triggers are, because some of my big ones, um, obviously, you have the detoxing cravings like those are big triggers when you're first getting sober. Um, you have to get through those. Some You have to change your people, places, things for those. Another big one was self-defeating behavior. I kept doing bad, so I kept feeling bad. It wasn't until I changed those actions into good behavior, actions, and be, and, and beliefs that I wasn't getting any. Then it started to change, and I was getting positive things back. But what's most important here is, okay, so we have all these triggers. We're triggered by the the weather. We're triggered by a fight that we had. We have all these different triggers, but what do we do with them? And that's where we want to hone in on this conversation moving forward. So how do we spot our triggers? If we're able to spot them, then we can manage them. That's kind of the step work that we're doing. So what are your triggers? What is the triggers? What we've learned? Time to dive deep into what are your individual triggers? So in order to manage them, you have to first become aware of what they are. So there's different techniques and tools that you can do. With my clients, I particularly hone in on triggers, and we talk about journaling and reflection. So I might have shared this on the podcast, the story, but I just did a, another post recently about it. I was working at my former job. And I was doing, like, the job of three people because two people called out sick. And it was just a hell of a morning. And I was meeting my partner for lunch. And I had to drive across the parking lot to get there. And on my way there, this lady and I both catch a parking spot at the exact same time. And I turn on my blinker, and she just cuts in straight in. Now, I get immediately pissed off. I, I slam on my accelerator, and then I slam on my brakes. The screeching tires are echoed everywhere. I roll down the window. I yell obscenities at her. Like, I'm not going to repeat them on here. It was terrible. <laughs> and then I roll up the window, and I speed up. Okay? Now, that is obviously what is going on here. If I were to just ignore that and let that ruin my day, that's me and my old behavior. But what I learned in in terms of spotting my triggers, I have to reflect on what just happened. So when I found a parking spot, I stopped and I just took like five minutes and I said, Okay, what the hell just happened? Why did I respond that way? Why did I react that way? What is going on here? And if I don't take the time to do that, then I am not changing and growing myself, right? So if you if you do take the time to reflect on what happens, then you're able to dissect it for what it really is. And that's when you actually start implementing changes because you're able to check your triggers and, and your responses to triggers more often. So so it's not going to happen overnight. But if I didn't do that reflection and if I just went into lunch and I carried that negative energy into in lunch and and then the rest of my day, it just would, who knows what would happen. But I stopped. I thought about. Okay, what just happened? Why did I react that way? I looked at my part in it and I said, "Okay, I obviously was having a bad day." And this just set me off. The trigger was her taking my parking spot, but it didn't it did not it should have not resulted in the way that I I responded. So that's on me. Now, how can I change this moving forward? What I did from that point forward is because I was aware of it at that point and I reflected on it then I started to make changes over time. When I would catch myself feeling uh, anger and resentment inside, when something like that trigger would happen, I would just say, no, Alex, you know where this gets you. Like people say, play the tape through. Now, that doesn't deal with me and getting, getting high or getting drunk. My problems are a lot less now because I've chosen not to drink or drug. But I still, it, it forces me to get out of that anger and resentment headspace that can affect other people that I'm going to be in contact with or the person that triggered me. If I don't reflect on that, I'm not able to see it for what it is from a different perspective and then interject many action points to do for next time. So I think reflection is huge with that. If you're not a fan of reflection, um, journaling is another, just writing it out. Uh, At the end of every day, I look back on your day and say, okay, what was I triggered by? Uh, there's there's a great exercise that you can do this with. You write down your triggers. I have it right here um, Write now. All your trigger, your current triggers and your current responses to the triggers. So at the end of every day, you sit down, you say, OK, what were my triggers today? How did I respond? And then you write down another list right next to it. And in that column, you say desired. outcome. So you have your triggers your current response. Now, what's your desired response in the future? And once you start becoming aware of what you want to turn into, you can start interjecting when you're starting to feel anger and resentment towards somebody. So it doesn't build up into an explosion like I did in the parking lot, right? There's a lot of different things that you can do here, but journaling is another way that you can do that. Therapy is another way that you can You can get somebody else's perspective. This is why I'm such a huge advocate for therapy and life coaching. I believe therapy is for healing your past and going in your past and healing what you need to be healed from. And life coaching is setting you up for a better future. But both of them, um, there's a controversy around this, but both of them are able to take a deep dive and give you a different perspective that you might not be seeing yourself. So if I if I didn't talk to my therapist or my life coach about this situation or to you one about my parking situation, when I say it out loud, I realize how stupid I really was. But if I'm not aware of it, then I might be stuck in that bubble where it's all about me and she's the one that's wrong. But once I voice it out to somebody. So that's why therapy is great. Life coaching. And then it's also just like you and I have just a support system. That is another way to, to spot triggers. Ask if you really want to change this, if you really don't like triggers and you don't like the way that you respond to them, ask your support group. Hey, what do you think are my biggest triggers? Like, where do you see me reacting wrongly? Where do you see me responding wrongly? If you really want to change, then you're, you'll be able to implement these these simple. These are simple steps, but they make profound changes. So that's a little bit about how to spot them. And now uh, we wanna move into how to manage them, okay? So you know what a trigger is. Now you've, you've done a deep dive and see what individual triggers affect you. And now how do you manage them? So there's two different ways that, that we wanna approach this. How do you manage triggers internally and how do you manage trigger external triggers? I'm sorry. So how do you manage the internal triggers? And how do you manage the external triggers? So an internal trigger would be something like negative self-talk. If you catch yourself when you're looking in the mirror or you're not looking in the mirror or something like that. And, um, so there's different things that, in exercises that you can do to start implementing better self-talk. So that would be an internal example. An external trigger is what we just talked about. Somebody taking your spot, your parking spot. You can't always control that. But the thing that you can control is your response to what happened. And that's what's most important. And that's where you and I are held most accountable. We're we're held for our responses and how we respond to certain actions. Not, not what people do. People are going to do what they want to do. But how are we going to respond to them? I used to be, I used to have that, again, the wrong way. I thought. That because you pissed me off, you're the one that's wrong. And it took a long time for me to develop a new mindset that really I'm responsible for how I react to what you did. I'm not responsible for what you did. What you did was bad, maybe. You let the courts decide that or whatever, you know, higher power or anything. But how I respond to it, I am, I am responsible for it. So internally, when we're talking about internal triggers, this could be, like I said, something like negative self-talk. Again, journal and reflection. So, reflection and journaling are good for multiple things, right? Meditation is another one here. If if we went down the list of the benefits of meditation, uh, maybe we should do that on a on a on a future episode. Just talk about the the benefits that are. Seen from studies of reflection, journaling, and meditation. If you just implemented those three things, your life is going to get a lot better. I guarantee it. But if you don't sit and reflect on like the example I just gave, where is this coming from? Then you can't stop it from, from happening. So again, it's awareness and then changing the action after that. Another big one that I was, that I just dove into recently is breath work. So I went to this conference for life coaches. And we did like an hour of breath work. I've never done any breath work in my life. I've done meditation. I've done breath work inside meditations, but I've never done like a full breath work and it breaks you down. Like it it really breaks you down and, and helped me dig deep into what is going on with me. So internally, again, this is why breath work is a good one for the internal triggers. And then the fourth, how to, how to manage them is catching them in the act. This is also for habits, right? Like if you want to intervene and change your habits, you have to catch them in the act and immediately change change the routine uh, that you're doing. So if you, let's say that you deal with, uh, I used to be a big liar. I lie about everything. Once I became aware that I was actually lying, and it's kind of silly, but I had to become aware that I was lying about everything and that everything I was telling myself was pretty much a lie about my life. And I made up stories that I believed myself. Uh, so, it was crazy. It was a crazy mindset to be in. But once, but once I realized that, and I wanted to, I had the want to stop lying, when I would catch myself right in the act of lying, I would just immediately say, no matter who it was to, I would, and it's a very humbling process. I would say, I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm sorry. I just lied. And usually it would lead to a, a, a better conversation because they would be like, oh, that's interesting. Why did you just say that? And then I could tell them about my personal growth and, and how I'm trying to become a better person. People respect that more than just you lying to their face. And they know that you're lying and you know that you're lying. And then you're just left with awkwardness. So I interjected. So like catching them in the act is another good way of, of managing internal triggers. So, Juan, did you want to talk about the external triggers and how to manage them?
1: Yeah, I I just had a few questions. You made a lot of really good points when it came to meditation and uh, reflection and breath work. And, you know, when when you say that, maybe we can go a little bit deeper onto what exactly meditation is. Because I know, like, for a lot of people, meditation is, like, the idea of just being there, like, for hours, you know, however long. And, like, it doesn't have to be that, right? It can just be something simple. Right. That anybody can do, even if they had five minutes even if they think they they can't get into it. Uh You know, like one of my therapists, and here's where therapy is a really good idea. She suggested, um, since I'm not a, a person, I am a meditation, but I I couldn't sit still, you know, at first, I just go out and, you know, just notice everything that's around you. You know, the wind, uh, you know, the birds, the sun, and just kind of like try to be focused and in the moment. And that can also get you, to a little bit calmer state. Right. I feel like that's, you know, something like that, it's a good way to start or even like the five-minute meditation videos on YouTube, guided meditation. Mm -hmm. That's a a great way to start getting into it. Uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, a lot of us can uh, get up to that level to where we can meditate for hours. I think that would be amazing, uh, you know, for the mental health. Yeah. But we can start small.
0: I mean, imagine... Well, you can imagine, it's not, it wasn't, you know, for both of us, it's not that long ago where our brains are moving so fast that we can't even think for ourselves. And if you were to ask me if I wanted, if, if I could just turn my brain off for five minutes a day, would I do that? Absolutely. And that's what somebody asked me when it, that's how I got introduced into meditation. And they said, you're not going to get it at first, but just start simple. And most importantly, just, Start. You don't have to be good at it in order to start. There's so many different techniques for meditation. Like there's grounding techniques, which is a really good one for people to start out at because it, it helps you ground where you're at. It helps you become back, come back into the reality of where you are and you go through your five senses. So what, so at that moment, you could do this with your eyes open. If you're hiking, and you just stand still. Okay, what do I see? Name off five things that you can see. What do I hear? Name off, this can be internally or verbally. You can say this out loud. Four things that I hear. What are three things that I feel, like touch? What are two things that I smell? And what's one thing that I taste? And if you do that, that's you can do that in less than five minutes. And if you do that, it's calming your mind down and, and giving your heart like a rest from beating so fast, especially when you're first coming off of like drugs and alcohol and you have that anxiety through the roof. If you do that just once a day, just once a day, it's going to make a profound change in your life. And that's just one tech. That's one simple technique. There's also counting. Like the, the monks start when they first start meditating and they, they count beads. And the whole point is to rest their mind and, and focus on one thing rather than a million different things that we're always thinking about, right? And that never having complete thoughts. And then they take that, after they build that skill of being able to count, they take that into their other practices of meditation and that feeling of being able to calm their, their mind down. So there's, that's just two simple ways. And again, the most important thing is to just start. If you can't do 10 minutes, that's okay. Just do, do a couple minutes. Just start. And that's what's most important with meditation. Like meditation, you're going to see the effects. Some people see it right away. They feel rested afterwards. Um, it took me a while to see the benefits of it. Reflection, you're going to, that's like an instant, because if you reflect on the situation that just happened and you have made an action plan of how you want to be better, you just resolve that problem. So So you're going to feel instant gratification from that. So reflection is almost instant, right? Journaling is another long one. Like that's a long haul. But you don't really notice the benefits until you've been doing it for so long. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's what got me here. Journaling is what got me to this place of peace. Meditation is what got me to this place of peace. Reflection is something that you can do right now and start implementing. You just have to become more aware of when to do it. And you have to remember to do it.
1: Yeah, that's. Thank you for uh, sharing about that. That seems like a lot more, at least personally, uh, you know, practical to just start. Yeah. You know, and I, I need to implement some of those techniques because they yeah. they are really helpful. And um, there's
0: there's free apps out there. Insight Timer is an app that you can get. You can get five minute meditations, twenty minute meditations. It doesn't matter who your teacher is. Just start.
1: Yeah, and there's some there's some really good resources. I know we talked uh, a lot about support system, and you know, not everybody you know is still talking you know to their family you know for one reason or another. And some individuals may find themselves alone. I mean, I felt like that a lot of times. Or we'll put some resources you know so that there's always somebody that you can talk to.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. There's talk about there's yeah there's a couple of things. Obviously, hotlines are always there. There's sober groups that you can join on Facebook. We have one that we're going to continue to build. And that's just going to be just for people who listen to the podcast. And then I have one as well. And it's just a sober group. And it's for more of my life coaching stuff. But I post stuff in there all the time. And people feel free to to say, hey, I'm struggling today. And they get support immediately back from that, from the group. When that's that's a really positive influence this is why you see people go to like AA. This is why people go to rehabs because they need to be around a community and it's important to build a community up around you and that takes time especially when you have trust issues. But it can happen and sober people are out there. And and so yeah, we'll definitely list the resources in in the notes for this episode ideas that we have for that.
1: Awesome. The the first thing about even starting to try to manage an external trigger is, you know, getting getting off of the drug itself. Like when you're using and you're coming down like the detox or you're drinking or whatever behavior it is, you know, everything's a trigger because your body wants that substance that it, you've been putting or we have been putting in our body for such, such a long time. And sometimes like it takes going somewhere where you're not going to have any access to it. Because, like, something, no matter how hard you want it or how long you've been wanting to try to stop, you know, it's hard. The brain is different. We altered all this chemistry. So I, I would say that the first thing for anybody that's struggling with that and is thinking about it, um, just go with a family member, uh, you know, try to get into a rehab. Uh, you know, just go somewhere where you can be away from all of that. And you can you'll be sure that even if you want to, you know, for a brief second or for an, for a few hours, like you're not going to be able to reach out. You know, that's that's been the case with me so many times. Yeah, I, I couldn't stop until either something happened or I ended up in in rehab. Another one of those things, well, there's several of them uh, when it comes to like acquaintances, as I shared earlier you might be able or, you know, we might be able to go to those places, go to bars, you know, hang out with people later on. But in the beginning, it's really important to just really be, be objective about your friends and what the reason you want to go there is. And a lot of the times, you know, after you stop, you realize you don't really have much in common with, you know, with people that you would hang out a lot, aside from, the drinking and/or using, so that's that's a big one. Like, listen to your body. If you feel like you're somewhere, and you know your heart starts racing, um, you start getting thoughts, your palms are sweaty, and you probably shouldn't be there. Uh, another thing that people can do is if you're gonna, if, if a certain place brings up a lot of triggers for you, just take the long route, even if you think that you can maybe handle it, not just take a long route. It's not worth getting a maybe and planting that little seed so that the next time that you pass there you might get off and go back to using. Another amazing resource is medications. You have some experiences with with Matt, um Alex. And yeah. uh yeah, so mm-hmm. before I, I pass it on to you, I'm just want to talk a little bit about some other ones that I personally tried, uh and Bibitrol. It's an amazing medication. Uh, so it, it helps with the cravings. Uh, a lot of the times naltrexone, which is the pill form, and Bivitrol is, uh suspended injection, you take it once a month, uh, that, that'll help. Uh, and I've never done opiates, but from what I've heard, uh, you know, if you have that injection, you're taking naltrexone, and, you know, you have a bad day, a bad week, and you shoot up or you take a pill or something, like it won't make you high. It will just make you really, really sick, and that's kind of a way that you start to disassociate the pleasure, you know, from the the action or the drug. But um yeah, for me, it's it's done wonders. There's also like a new study that's uh, showing that the use of naltrexone or bivitrol uh, are he- helping people that are even addicted to stimulants, mm. you know, stay clean for a longer period of time. And I i mean, it's a study. I don't know if it how it works, but if there's something out there that can help you, why not? You're not
0: exactly it's it's yeah, just right? adding it's adding forces to this huge feat that you have to overcome. Getting sober from anything is a difficult task.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: There's so many things to worry about, so many things to do. Arm yourself with, with knowledge as well as all the options that are out there. And that's why Juan just hit on, like, a, uh, with meds. I personally went in and was diagnosed with, with bipolar and ADHD. And I don't know how much of that was drug-induced. I'm, I'm reflecting with my psychiatrist and psychologist now and seeing okay, do I need still need to be on these things? Because I don't know if I actually have it or if it was drug-induced. But it helped me stay sober early, early on. And what what we're sharing with you now is just all the avenues to stay sober. We don't care how you stay sober. We just want you to stay sober. So if that includes mats, which is medically assisted treatments, so he hit uh, Juan hit on a little bit. This is methadone and Suboxone uh, fall under a medically assisted treatment. If that's what you if that's what you need now, those are Addictive drugs. Uh, I was on Suboxone for about a year and a half. It helped me through the opiate withdrawal, but it helped me manage my life and get it back on course. And I didn't need it anymore at the end of that year and a half. Now it's different for everybody, and, and of course these drugs are are, are Schedule Two drugs, and and people are getting high off of them. Uh, but if it keeps you out of the trap houses, if it keeps you off the streets then it's doing something more positive than the old drug was, wasn't doing, right? So there's controversies with how long you should be on it and all of that. It's just what's best for you. We're not here to tell you what works, what doesn't, like for you, right? You're the only one that knows you. And if you truly want to get sober, then here's all the avenues. Here's all of the things that you can use in order to get there. There's medicines for cravings, for early in sobriety, for... for amphetamines, there's uh, meds for cravings out there. For opiates, obviously, there's meds for cravings. Same thing with alcohol, uh, the Vivitrol shot. There's a lot of, uh, I don't want to use the word controversy, but if it helps, I just want to say this, if it helps you stay sober, then just do it. Arm yourself with the best possible shot that you can stay sober off of what ruins your life. Because that's what you used to be addicted to. That's what that's what we're talking about here. This is a life or death situation. Who cares what somebody thinks if I'm on Suboxone or not? I don't care because I'm saving my own life here. The, the, what they do doesn't affect my life. I, I know where I've been. And I know that I needed to be on Suboxone in order to get out of there. Now, maybe for me, it, it wasn't ideal to stay on it for forever. But I needed it when I was in early recovery, and again, this is a life or death situation. And and when people interject their own feelings about how they think you should do this or you shouldn't do this, you know what? Just worry about your own life. <laughs> I'm trying to get mine together. You know what I mean? And, and I heard this, so I'll, I'll share this now. But I heard this quote. Um, it's it's about the law of intention. And it talks about like when we when we put intention behind something. Like if we're taking MAT to stay off of heroin and our intention behind it as well, that creates good karma in, in the world. Right. So act when you act with intention, it creates karma. And when you talk about acting with intention, what actions are, are thoughts, emotions, words, deeds and motive and intent and desire behind each one. So if we're acting with intention of, st- of getting off of heroin and we need Suboxone to do it, then awesome. You have a plan, go and do it. Now, if you don't need to stay on that forever, you'll know when it's time. You'll know if you're if you'll know if you're abusing it. If you need to get off of it. So I mean, I'll get off my high horse here, but I think mats are incredibly useful for for the right people. Of course, just like every medicine, there's a downfall, right? but um, it's not as big of a downfall as something like heroin or methamphetamine or anything like that. So yeah, those are kind of the what triggers are, uh, what they do, how they affect us, and how we can spot them and manage them both on an internal and external level. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, Juan?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, just say, you know, it's, it's obvious, but let's just, uh, let me just say it. We're not, licensed medical professions of any professionals of any kind Uh, this isn't like medical advice or anything like that it's just what's helped us stay clean and sober you know we're just sharing it you know but just listen to your body like Alex said who cares what people think if you know the way that you save your life is just doing a little bit a little bit less at a time like harm reduction it's okay just do what feels best and listen to your body if you think you shouldn't do something, then you probably shouldn't do it to begin with.
0: Yeah, we intuition all- and gut are, are big here, <laughs> and, but we don't yeah. have we don't have we don't have intuition or gut when we're out there using it's a there's a block on it. The longer that we stay sober, the more that intuition and that gut feeling kind of comes back, and we can trust in that. But sometimes people can get that confused with the old way of thinking of when we were out there using and drinking and it's just a bad feeling or not a bad feeling or it's just like a pit of the stomach feeling or or we it's too hard or something like that you know like those are those are what you have to decipher between what's what's truly intentional what your body is talking to you and saying to you both in and after you get sober because those are two very different things when you have alcohol and drugs in your system your body is telling you something completely different than when it's trying to tell you sober.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just want more. You start coming down or getting sober. And even with like alcohol, you can't, I mean, it would be a very bad idea to just kind of like quit cold Turkey, but um, your body just need, wants and needs more of that substance that, you know, it's so used to living with. So right. It, it, it- uh, yeah, so I like what you said. Um, you know about people just listening to their body and you know just using whatever tools they have to their to, to their disposal.
0: Yeah, and
1: it, it's kind of sad because even between you know people that struggle with uh, substance use disorder or even like mental health challenges and you know uh, an addiction, there's so much misinformation. Uh, you know about what what actually is the problem and how it affects people. Like, right. don't worry about what anybody says.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for our third episode of Sober. Please join us on social media at Sober on Facebook and Sober underscore podcast on Instagram. And please join us for the next episode of Sober.
1: If you or somebody you know is struggling with addiction and would like to get more information about it or get least to help, please visit the show notes on our episode.